Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, listen, they want me to say hello. Welcome to the James Well best bits of tonight's show. I wish you can hear every night, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio from 7 till 10. But I said, wouldn't it be best to call it the worst of whale? So have a listen. See what you think. Laura Farris is a Conservative MP for Newbury and uh, a member of the Affairs Select Home Affairs. Better be careful what I say, hadn't I, really, Ash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Home Affairs Select Committee. Yeah, Home yeah. Affairs yeah. Select Committee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Laura, good evening. Good evening. Well, it's very good of Keir Starmer to uh, say he's going to support plans for uh, relaxation of a lockdown, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think he he obviously touches on, on an anxiety that all of us are very aware of, which is the enormous pressure, really, the lockdown is putting on people and the worries that they have about their future and their work and also health. But I think at this point, it is still very early. You know, the trend is beginning to look like it's moving in the right direction. But I think the government is right to kind of hold fire because if it was to start saying, okay, in three weeks, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll release this or that, or, uh, I think it would be really premature. And the worst possible outcome would be that a number of weeks later were kind of forecast, people were allowed to leave their homes and return to some semblance of normal lives. And then the virus was to you know, whip across the nation with a vengeance. And we were going to, you know, we start seeing field hospitals straining at the seams. And people say, well, what on earth was that all about before? So it is a very, very well, difficult we haven't matter got... of balance and yeah. strategy, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And of course, you know, how on earth can they come up with an exit strategy before they uh, they know how things are going? But, you know, uh, this whole thing is, a, a, in my view, really strange the way it suddenly happened like this. But here we are. We uh, are, as they say now, where we are. And we have to get on with it. So I would think in a couple of weeks you'll see people in government beginning to change. Well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. Because now we're seeing that the field hospitals are being closed because they're not going to be needed. Um, and uh, I wouldn't you mind know, betting in a few weeks things begin to relax quite a lot. You know, certainly that is my hope, but I would just make two points. On the Home Affairs Select Committee, we took evidence last week from chief constables from across the country. And one of the things that they said is they were surprised by how compliant the general public was being voluntarily. Um, they'd been prepared for sort of for more. And they actually said that there was a really, really high degree of take up. And I hope that that's going to be reflected in mm. in the data very soon. But I think the fact that the field hospitals aren't occupied now, I think we should interpret as a good sign. 
But obviously, it doesn't no, mean that if, you know Absolutely. it doesn't mean that if we were to let people out. To, sorry, I make them sound like prisoners, but I think it is fair to say that some people kind of yeah, have, you have a sense of that. And um, if if people were to leave their homes and to interact with each other and return to normal life prematurely. That, that picture could change very, very quickly because we know how, how quickly the, the, the virus can spread. And people might take advantage of it as well. You know what I mean? If you open the door a bit, they might go, well, it's all right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think you also, you make a very good point. The police are, are very uh, correct in saying how, um, how, how surprised they were. I was surprised too to see how, how people are just prepared to take what they're told and, and do as they're told. Uh, it's lucky we live in a democracy because if we ever got some kind of nutty uh, uh, dictator ever in power in this country, um, they wouldn't find it difficult to control us, would they? <laughs> That's a fairly interesting observation, actually. Um, yeah, I think people have accepted... I'm not giving term, any of you any ideas, by the way. No, but I, I think people have accepted, in the short term, very strong restrictions yeah. on their life. I've never known anything like this in my lifetime. It is right to say it's time limited, but I do think that the government is right now not to be almost sending out mixed messages or a muddled kind of um, muddled messaging that could confuse people or let them think, OK, well, on the X date, I'm going to be doing differently. Yeah. And it'll have to be, yeah, you know, older people um, and the other thing, people with conditions won't be able to go out as, as soon, will they? No, well, I think that is not. right. I mean, I think the shielding um, the, advice was already for 12 weeks. And again, that can be, mm -hmm. I think once you have a sort of two-tier system, it's going to be diff more difficult to, you know, enforce while you're telling children, no, no, you can't go and see your elderly mother. No, 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 she's in a different category to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're already the message is becoming a little bit more blurred. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Uh, Mark Harris, Professor of Viro Virology at the University of uh, Leeds, joins us again. Mark, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Hi, James. How are you doing? Well, you Hello? know, like everybody else, one minute. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, want, so you crazy. want to yell at everybody. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean... If I didn't have this to do in the evenings, I don't know what I'd be doing. Uh, but I've had a I've, I've had a busy day. I made myself do stuff today, and I feel a bit better for it. Except I feel a bit knackered. But uh, I'm going to have to strike a happy medium, I think. Now, um, I was talking to another professor yesterday, and he put forward this uh, thing that they've been looking uh, at various things, and he got very upset that the way deaths are being reported in the media isn't quite right uh, not happy about that and we, we got to the point of talking about viruses spreading and everything else uh, and this one is following a pattern that viruses do the problem is we don't have a vaccine for it yeah that I guess that's right because you know what what we expected was that the numbers of people infected would increase exponentially now so two becomes four becomes eight becomes 16 but mm. we're not seeing that at the moment it, it seems to be leveling out it seems to be quite sort of linear so two becomes four becomes six becomes eight if you're with me and so i think yeah. that's a good sign i think what that tells us is that the lockdown is working and i think everyone will be very happy to hear that because we've all been suffering through this lockdown it just feels totally unnatural doesn't it to 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 live our lives mm. this way but I think I think it's working, but I think it's too early to to take the foot off the brake. I think we need to we need to keep that lockdown in place for another few weeks. But once you take your foot off the brake, once you take your foot off the brake, doesn't it just start going back up again? 
Well, you hope that it won't. You hope that you'll have you have reached a, a peak of the number of people infected, and because once people are infected, they will go through the process of, of having that disease and then they will clear that virus and then they will be okay again and then you know they will not be infectious then so they will not be able to spread yeah. that virus to other people and I think that's what we're trying to do is limit the number of people who are potentially infected and could transmit that virus to other people limit that number of people at any one time so that you know the, the, the chances of you meeting someone who's infected in the street or in a shop or wherever yeah. is reduced and so that and will it have to be can... stored on a you know like will you have to carry a card or something well i don't know i don't i mean i think this is the big question at the moment isn't it it's the exit strategy so how do we yeah. get out of this i mean we got into this very quickly didn't we lockdown happened almost yeah. immediately didn't it? over that weekend on friday the pubs were shut and then monday boris said right that's it no one can go yeah. out you know, two people at maximum so we, we got into it very quickly, but we can't get out of it very quickly. There has to be some sort of gradual yeah. relaxation of, of, the, of the rules that live, govern our lives at the moment. So and I, I don't have I a thought... sense of how that's going to work. No, I don't. I don't think anybody no. else does, which is why they're no. not talking about it. But uh, no, this professor but we, we had on yesterday, it. I wish I could yeah. remember his... Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Professor, who I was talking about yesterday, said it, this whole thing giving death, uh, death numbers uh, every day is, he said, very, mm -hmm. very depressing, and it's not good for people either. And they'd done a no. study about how many how many people died on, on this day and other days. They'd done it right back about mm -hmm. I think it was ten years, wasn't it, Ash? Mm. And yeah. uh, compared the daily deaths. Uh, during different parts of the year from from different mm -hmm. things and said you'd be surprised you know it's you know a few hundred more here and there uh, in, depending on the the time or whatever but a lot yeah. of people die every day in this country and we're, yeah. we're perhaps yeah. your yeah. media are making a feast out of it are we I, th I think in a way we are yeah pe yeah pe people are born and people die i mean that's 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 what happens isn't it and but wasn't it six thousand more this yeah we, we've got a population of what 60 or 70 million in this country yeah. and, a, and a large number of people are going to die every day because that's what happens but these this mm. is what we call excess mortality so these are the number of people who are dying because of this disease who wouldn't have died yeah. normally if you like if, if this disease was not around so i think that's what we're trying to get and at. I noted, yeah, the I, I noted, numbers are misleading, aren't they, in a way? Yeah. They, yeah but I've noticed you, you also the way they're reporting these. Sorry, mm. there is a delay. I'm sorry, Professor. Mm. Uh, you'll get used to it. It's just a bit, a no, bit of a no delay worries. between us yeah. all talking. Yeah. Um, th that's because we're all in different places. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're now saying those who've died uh, with... Um, uh, coronavirus in their systems, or so they're not actually now saying those people who died from coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Well, the implication, I guess, is which that I think is a rather if, interesting yeah. change. Yeah, if they're infected, then that will be one of the contributing factors to their death. That might have been mm. that they had some other, mm. other, other disease or other other factor that caused that disease, but it was a contributing factor. Mm. But and also, the the numbers are diff are, are confusing because. You say, well, these number of people died, but actually that's the number that were certified as having died on that day. You know, some of those people might have died two weeks before, but it wasn't yeah. until that day that the death certificate was signed off or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. it is it's difficult to look at those numbers and say, oh, yeah, we're going in the right direction or we're not, because I think you need to look at the 
you need to look at it over a period of time and see how it changes. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Thank you for um, having me. I'm on. I'm only sad that that I don't think this has been a big enough story. Well, clearly there's a lot going on in the media, and it's amazing that so many people have taken the time to cover it today in press, in print, in broadcast. It's been amazing that the stories of the liberators and survivors have been heard. Uh, 50,000 in just one camp seems an enormous amount of people to keep together. I mean, how did they manage it? Well, they didn't, obviously, but... So about 120,000 people were held in Bergen-Belsen at some point during the war. It started as a prisoner of war camp and became, towards the end, a camp where Jews who'd been transported from further east, camps such as Auschwitz and Ravensbrück, were brought into Bergen-Belsen, essentially to die. It's often talked about a place of neglect, a a holocaust by neglect. You know, there was no food, no water, no conditions for anyone to... People who were liberated were, you know, left in the barracks to die by the Nazis. So they didn't have gas chambers, they just sort of threw them in there and just let them... And, and when they were liberated, didn't there was them. thousands of, of people, there was a cholera outbreak, and, and there were days after the thousands were dying as well. Yeah, so the, tr- the, um, the troops eventually raised the camp to the ground because of the, the typhus epidemic that happened at the camp. Yeah. When they liberated the, the body, there were bodies of 13,000 people who'd recently died there. And those who were still alive, you know, survivors talk about people barely being able to shuffle, let alone yeah. run. To, and the bodies to were just everywhere, weren't they? And kids were just walking around. It was just normal to them, the kids, with these bodies just, every, you know. Well, especially if you think about these young kids who were liberated from Bergen-Belsen. Some of them were so young, they had no other concept of life other than yeah. under Nazi rule. And what the British did was, as part of the relief efforts, they nursed them back to health, they deloused them, they gave them hope they gave them humanity again the relief workers the nurses the doctors the journalists who told their story it's an incredible part of our country's history that we should be really proud of well you can listen to the dimbleby audio because dim was it richard dimbleby went in uh, with the liberators and and they didn't believe the audio when it was sent back to them but they thought this is too bad they couldn't believe i thought it it was his i think it was his dad wasn't it yeah it was richard richard dimbleby wasn't it yeah that their father richard dimbleby all right. Yeah, so he, yeah. he fought to have it played it on the BBC. Yeah. It's one of the most harrowing news reports I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you can listen to yeah. it online. I mean, it's one that should be played in every school, shouldn't it? I think we have to you know, be careful about at what age we expose and teach children to such horrors. But certainly, you know, the Holocaust Educational Trust, along with our partners at the UCL Centre for Holocaust Education and the National Holocaust Centre up in Nottingham, we've taken nearly 1,000 students to Bergen-Belsen before the coronavirus outbreak so that they could understand this incredible part of British history, bear witness to survivors and make sure that we pass this, next, this story on to the next generation. And, and Frank, isn't it? You've it, been it, there, Ash, haven't you? I've not been there, no. no, no. So I was fortunate you, enough I've to go recently. Oh. And what, mm. was, what was it like then? I'm not sure whether I would say fortunate enough because it, it had the most appalling atmosphere of anywhere I've ever been. When it's, I say appalling, it's a tough there's sort of reverence visit, that comes over But, but yeah. I, I firmly yeah. believe that, I mean, you know, as the Holocaust moves from living history to just history, it's more important than ever that we see for ourselves what happened. We listen to survivors and we understand yeah. and become witnesses for those survivors, for our, our next generation, for, you know, for my kids and, and please God, grandkids. But what is there? What is that Bergen-Belsen when you go there? So there's very little of what was the camp that remains. There's a number of memorials, Jewish memorials, other memorials, 
And then there's also a huge amount of mass graves. So many people died. Over 10,000 people died immediately after liberation that they were unable to give everyone a personal burial. So there's a number of mass graves with up to 1,000 bodies. And it's a very tough place to visit. But I, you know, I went on this visit with, with young people from the southwest. And just the way that these young people learned and understood the questions they were asking, I've got real hope for, for the future. How does it compare you see, to... You I don't, I, don't I don't understand how one human being can do this to others, any human beings. I don't understand how they could do it. No, I, it's not something I think I'll ever understand, but what survivors of Belson often talk about, Susan Pollock, uh, MBE, who's a survivor of Belson, she talks about the kindness and the gentleness of a British soldier who picked her up off the ground, and it was the first kindness and the first kind touch she'd had in years... I think whilst we have those huge shreds of darkness and humanity within the Nazis, that was so contrasted by these British liberators. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Well, give us a little hint of your dream. Just a little. Mine all fairly raunchy in my dreams. I don't really have... Sounds rather unsavoury. Do a bit of talking. I'm just taking some of my clothes off. Can you put that yes. there, uh, Daisy May? OK, you're a good girl tonight. Yeah, good girl. Mike Graham. Imagine that Mike Graham is a baby. Yeah. Uh, you should have been a doctor, Ash. I don't know why actually you gave up. Well, too many cooks, you know what I mean? There's enough of them involved at the moment. Who are we talking yeah. to first? Sam in Essex. But we're in Essex. We're not in Essex. Well, I'm in I Kent am. and you're in studio. No, Sam is. He said no. we're in Essex. No, where's not in Essex. That's Mike Indian, bloggist. I just love his name. And it's spelled like Indian. It is. You wouldn't sound really cool being called Mike Native American, would you? No, that's a bit double-barrelled as well. I'm going from this conversation to this thing I've never done before called House Party. You want a house party? You're not allowed to go to house parties at this moment. That was uh, the clips for today, the worst of Whale, or sorry, sorry, the best of James Whale. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed them. Well, I suppose if you didn't enjoy them, you won't be listening, will you? Anyway, I'll be back 7 o'clock until 10, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.